Get to AFL Max These School Holidays with two hours of play from just $19.90. Get the kids out of the house and keep them active. Choose from a variety of activity zones at AFL Max. Bookings essential at aflmax.com.au. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Max Mentors. Pods here. If it's the first time that you're joining us here today, now this is a show that connects grassroots coaches to people that have got professional experience. We're at episode six uh, only because we've got people like you that keep listening in and downloading episodes. So thanks very much for tuning in. My belief for what it's worth is that coaches and aspiring coaches are the most important cog in the community sport ecosystem. Your ability to learn, adapt and grow rubs off on your players. It's a pretty simple equation. The better our coaches, the better our players, and the higher engagement we see in participation, not only across football, but all sports. Max Mentors is here to help you grow, so please keep providing your feedback. Send us an email whenever you get a chance. We love hearing from you. Now, on to today's very special guest, Alicia Eva. Alicia is the current GWS Giants AFLW captain and NEFL development coach. Football and coaching is seriously in Alicia's blood, and you'll hear that come through really strongly during our chat. I think that she even defines passion in football and coaching, and I couldn't be more impressed with her enthusiasm and willingness to continue to develop as a coach. Now, female football has been played since the start of the last century, but it's realistically only the last sort of five to 10 years that we've actually seen it in mainstream media. The vehicle for women's football now is AFLW, and that's only in its infancy. And the women playing today will be the coaches of our future, no doubt. The remarkable thing about Alicia is she's a player and a coach right now. And I tried to work out which one she was first, but realistically, she is both. What comes across in our chat is even though she's been coaching for 10 years, she's really only at the beginning of her journey as a coach, which with her current level of experience and knowledge, I think it's seriously exciting to where Alicia's going to take her coaching. It really doesn't have a ceiling. Okay, enough from me. There is coaching gems here at Max Mentors. So get your notepads ready and let's press play with my chat with Alicia. First of all, thanks for joining um, and thanks for being a part of it. This is our six Max Mentors uh, and I'm, I'm super excited because you're, um, you're our first female guest. Um, which is uh, which is fantastic, and every time I talk to someone about um, you in the industry, um, they always have glowing things to to say. So I'm really thankful that uh, you actually joined tonight. No, it's it's exciting, and yeah, I've seen your your guest list, and um, it's been it's a fantastic initiative. And I know time has been difficult for coaches and and footy clubs all across the nation this year. So um, yeah, I think it's fantastic that. Um, there's a community in which coaches can kind of reach out and, and, and continue to build on their own education. So well done. Yeah, no, great. Thank you. Now, a, a brief background just to uh, fill everyone in on your sort of uh, journey and story so far. So grew up in Melbourne, a uh, suburb called Malvern, for those of you that uh, don't know Melbourne too well. Two older sisters, one younger brother. Obviously, mum and dad have been super supportive. We spoke on the phone last week about your, uh, your football journey. Uh, we'll talk about your dad a little bit later on as well. Now, uh, a, a great uh, a great story here that you sort of started playing footy um, at Auskick. So the NAB Auskick, which um, all AFL you know, the employees here that are tuning tonight would love to hear that, um, started in that pathway. Then you played at school. Uh, I'm going to get your school name wrong, but it was uh, actually, is it Sakura Kerr? Sakura Kerr Girls Yeah, there you go. Was, that was correct. Oh. Sakura Kerr. <laughs> Sakura Kerr. Um, so you didn't go to French school, but uh, it, was, it was based in Melbourne. But um, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, then you played um, youth girls footy at uh, East Malvern where your dad coached you and obviously had a uh, pretty big influence on your coaching career. And as I said, we'll talk about him a bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you started playing senior footy uh, at Melbourne Uni in the uh, VFLW. Uh, it was known something different back then in 2010. Uh, at the same time, so you're only sort of 18, 19, and you took over coaching from your dad at East Melbourne. So yeah. coaching for you, uh, it sounds like it's been in your blood, which is fantastic you're here tonight. To <laughs> well, Dad would love to, to think that, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, so he should. Um, <laughs> and then the opportunity while you were playing at Melbourne Uni came up to coach the Court Cannons, so, which is um, in Victoria. For those of you that are joining in from other parts of Australia is it's our Elite Pathways program or Elite Pathways competition, um, which is fantastic for, for boys and also now um, girls. I'm pretty sure they've got a, a NAB league for girls. Yeah. Um, and that was in 2011. You started with the under-16s crew and you've sort of followed that crew through for the next sort of three or four years. Um, and you were the backs coach in the under-18s too and a bit of mids. So fantastic. At the same time, you actually do a lot, um, Leash, but uh, you were studying psychology. Yeah. Um, as well at uni, so you're playing, coaching, studying, and I'm sure there's some other um, roles and jobs you had as well outside of that. Uh, yeah, not much of a social life at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, footy's your social life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and then you took a year off footy in 2015, um, did a bit of travelling, and then, uh, hello, boom, AFLW gets announced, um, which is fantastic, and you see yourself get drafted to the... Collingwood Football Club in the first year of AFLW. You played um, all seven games there. And then 2018, you went up to Sydney to play for um, GWS and coach. And we'll talk about um, the coaching element tonight. But basically, you came up as a dual role as player and also coach of the GWS Academy. Uh, and you worked on their midfield too. So, um, fantastic story. Now you're the current captain. Uh, as I said earlier, you're, um, you're coaching an EFL um, team, so it's a it's a fascinating story which I look forward to getting into. But thanks for joining us, Leash. No, thank you very very much. It's, um, I've met a lot of good people along the way and a lot of different coaches along the way as well. So yeah, happy to share what I've learned. Awesome. Um, now I want to start with um, why was it footy as a kid? Um, it just it was just the game that the kids in the playground played. Um, I grew up a devout Melbourne Demon supporter and uh, very much my second team. Um, follow them very closely. But, yeah, all of Dad's family um, just supported the Melbourne Demons and we went to the games every weekend. We were, um, I went to Auskeek, uh, obviously. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just what the kids in the playground were playing at the time. Everyone always asks me, did I have older brothers? Is that how I got into football? But that actually wasn't the case at all. It was just... My small little primary school, we just kicked the footy around on Sundays and played cops and robbers every second day. And when my little mates went down to Auskick, I just went down too and didn't think twice about it. So footy it is. Were you beating the boys that early at school? <laughs> uh, I'd like to think I was. Yeah, a lot of jack in the pack and, and all of that fun stuff. But I also played tennis. I played a lot of sport um, growing up which probably helps um, in the yep. coaching space and in the footy IQ space, being able to transfer skills and whatnot across. But, yeah, footy it is now. Yeah, great. Now, I ask this question every every session so far, and it's it's a question around what made you happy as a kid. And the reason why I ask it is that we've got a lot of junior coaches out there that we sort of can't forget that um, we're always coaching these kids to develop their skills and their tactics and their fundamentals. But um, why, was it, why was it footy and what made it fun for you back then? I think for me, it was just being around 
people um, running around with your friends. Um, fun, the fun aspect when you're growing up and it's, it's what gets you up out of bed at stupid o'clock in the morning, um, harassing mum and dad to take you down to Auskicks because you love being around people. Um, it's footy for me as well. Um, has always been a game that can be played by different shapes and sizes. Um, and, you know, you don't have to be six foot. You don't have to, you know, be the quickest player if you're strong. You know, it, it is a game that's catered to, to all shapes and sizes and men and women. Um, and I think that for me, that was a, a really attractive part of it as well. Um, but, yeah, definitely for me, it came back to the, the fun aspect and, and seeing your mates. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, AFL is quite unique because it doesn't discriminate, does it? And I know that um, AFLW is only, only technically new, but uh, women have been playing footy for a very, very long time. And it's just, uh, it's great to see that everyone's getting sort of recognition for that now. But it's actually been um, a long time and a long time in the making. But uh, yeah, I agree. Footy doesn't discriminate, which is, uh, which is great. Now, um, I want to, so we'll bounce back and forth about your playing and, and coaching, but I want to sort of talk about um, coaching now. Obviously, I mentioned earlier, you started coaching at 18 years of age. Um, I don't want to say how long ago that was because I don't want to talk about your age now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, So why was it coaching, do you think, and what do you love about it um, now? Um, I got into coaching, again, I guess similar reasons as to why I started playing footy. I um, played junior football all the way up from was kicked to 18 years of age and I developed really strong friendships and the thought of me kind of moving on um, as an 18 year old and away from all those people that I met along the way and away from my junior club and yes it was the East Melbourne Knights I did yeah. see a question yeah. pop up there um, it was something that I didn't want to um, you know stray too far away from and at the time my dad was coaching our team and um, God bless him he was I always say he was a fantastic motivator he was I don't know um how strong of a player he was, but he was he was a great coach and, again, really fostered that enjoyable environment. Um, if, it, if Dad and another gentleman at the club at the time didn't take on the reins at that junior club of the girls' team, um, it may not, may not have actually come into fruition. So I felt like um, I wanted to give him the chance to, you know, go off and, and watch my brother play footy on weekends and, and um, you know, kind of enjoy kicking back and, and seeing me do the work in a coaching capacity. So... Yeah, I guess um, that was early days. It was just to kind of give back and, and to stay involved. And, um, you know, for me, I've watched footy every single weekend. Um, I went to games as a, as a youngster. It was more or less my life and has been my life. And I, I developed quite a, I guess, a, a tactical brain or at least a hunger to, to know the ins and outs of, of why things happen on the footy field and, and, and what would happen if you did this and X, Y and Z and... I guess um, that's the other really attractive component to me now um, as I progress down the pathway as a coach. But early on, um, again, it was I really liked the idea about improving people um, and not just footballers, but improving people. And um, I think coaches are, are in a great position to kind of be that role model, but also be that kind of teacher and, and also teach the skills of, of the game at the same time. And I'm also pretty competitive. So <laughs> that definitely plays into my love for coaching. Yeah, great. So just uh, in that period where you sort of would have, I'm assuming, I don't want to um, uh, pump you up too much, but you would have probably been the best player or one of the better players in your team at the time. Obviously, you get from an East Malvern um, Knights under-18s team to go and play at, a, at that point, probably a pretty elite level, you know, in, in VFLW at the time. So you would have had a lot of knowledge that you, was, it, was, it, was knowledge transference a part of that motivation to go back and, and help the next 
sort of crop of under-18s or under-16 kids come through? Yeah, definitely. I think I played football um, from the get-go, so to speak. So from Auskick all the way through. And um, I think I, uh, don't quote me on this, but I'm led to believe that I was one of the first um, women to actually have gone through the entire pathway from Auskick through. Um, I was lucky enough to ride that wave of um, junior football and, of course, girls had to stop playing at the age of 13, which then turned into the age of 14 over the summer. Um, So I was lucky I I got to play my last game with the boys twice. Um, And then that same year, uh, Youth Girls was also created. So there was never a point in time where I had to fall out of the under-18 pathway. I was able to ride the wave all the way through. And and with that comes years of education. Um, And I I played state footy at an under-18 level. I was lucky enough to to be a part of that program. And we worked with some fantastic coaches um, who, who... educated me as a footballer and, and you're spot on part of me uh, going back and coaching in the under 18 girls space initially was because I had this wealth of knowledge and I had this experience that um, and there's and a number of years behind me that some girls hadn't necessarily had so um, we did see a number of girls start playing footy at the age of 13 14 15 and um, there was a lot of skill remediation and, and education on how to protect your body and do all that which I guess I I adopted those skill sets from a much younger age. So to be able to transfer that and help grow the game and grow up pretty quickly is, is pretty special. Yeah. Now, seriously, well done. At 18 years of age, to have that sort of maturity and think about transferring knowledge to the next generation when you're still trying to forge your own playing career um, is, is seriously well done. So um, that's fascinating. Now, uh, let's go back to your dad. I just want to talk about that whole sort of period of time. Obviously, there would have been some sort of influence that he had on your, your coaching. Do you remember sort of what it was or if there's anything that you sort of kept um, in the back of your mind or in your head that he did and um, has stuck yeah. with you? There was something he used to always say. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head right now. So if he's watching, I'm sorry, Dad. But um, <laughs> no, I think for me, the biggest influence it was, it was at a junior level was definitely his enthusiasm. Um, and at the time there weren't that many um, girls teams and he, he certainly, I guess, kind of led the way um, by taking on, on the reins as the coach, but he, he got a lot of other families involved at the club and he got the club to really invest. And, um, and I think the Knights now have, again, don't quote me, but I'm, I'm fairly sure they might have the equal highest number of female teams across Australia. Um, and, and I'm really proud that I guess that was kind of kicked off by, by dad and another gentleman called Nick Khalil. Um, and that's something that, yeah, from a, from a, I guess, a passion perspective for the game, I've certainly taken that on. Um, but yeah, dad was all about ensuring fundamentals. Um, let's not overcoach. Let's create an environment for, for young players to, to learn new skills um, and we need to do that. We need to do that by making the environment really enjoyable, particularly for kids. Yeah, well, that's a good lesson for our coaches out there. I mean, one of the core competencies of any coach is to shape the environment. If you shape the environment with heaps of enthusiasm, you know, we've got people, you know, a lot of years down the track talking about what they remember in that in that space with your dad being enthusiastic. So that's that's great, and that's such an important part of, of coaching. Now, the theme of tonight, I want to get on this. So. Um, is about building rapport and we sort of mentioned that you've got a, um, a psychology degree which is great we'll get into that but when it comes to the word well the words building rapport what does that look like for you and what does it mean to you essentially it's um to me it's about building relationships um 
And the reason why I think it's so important and it's kind of the theme of tonight is it enables you to, to ask more of your players and to challenge them and, and to hopefully ask, ask them to get the most of, get the most out of their time whilst they're at footy, but the most out of themselves as, as individuals. And um, I've really found throughout my playing career is that the coaches that have invested time outside of what is required and, and, I appreciate that there's a lot of community coaches on here and you don't have the same um, amount of time to, to check in on your players or to sit down and do hours of vision with them. But um, as a player, I really appreciated um, just the small extra amount of time put into my development. And it, as a player, when you, when you get a, a lot of feedback, um, both positive and negative, it's, it's um, I guess when there's a, when there's that kind of relationship that you have, um, it makes that feedback to me anyway. Um, I, I take it, I, I really take it on board and because I know there's a real investment in, in me wanting to improve that particular skill. Um, so for me, yeah, I think, you know, I could stand up in front of players and say X, Y, and Z, or I could sit down and, and do a review with a player um, and, and have as a million notes out down on paper. But if I don't invest in that player as a person, how much are they, of it are they really taking in? How much of it, um, uh, you know, is going to be helpful. And I think sometimes, um, sometimes perhaps more so in, in a professional setting where we're so um, hell-bent on improving the player, uh, but sometimes you need to understand what's going on with them as a person on and off the field in order to, to kind of gauge, okay, can I go really hard at them today? Um, what's going on for them at the moment? You know, they had a shocking game. They've had a shocking month of football why might that be? Um, so building that rapport, building that relationship, um, and, and I guess building that two-way communication to me is something really important. Yeah, great. Uh, thanks for the answer. Uh, you mentioned the word feedback. So feedback, um, I think, has got this, you know, over the last um, 10 to 15 years in particular with AFL, I think um, it's got, it's, I think it's sort of transitioned to this negative thought about, you know, being out in front of the, a group or, you know, um, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one session with a coach and getting feedback, it's always, it sort of has this sort of negative connotation, I feel. I see it in, in, in business now as well, is that oh, it's a feedback session where it's, it's more around you're trying to grow the individual. But if you have a, have a relationship with them, how, do you, how have you managed that when you've got, sometimes you might have a relationship with someone that's a bit deeper and you understand it more versus people that you don't know as well and being able to give them that, um, feedback. Have you, have you had any examples where you can sort of talk to, you know, people that you've got high relationships with versus yeah. people that you don't? Yeah, I think um, there, there's certainly been times, and even myself as a player, um, it's you players tend to gravitate um, or perhaps have a stronger relationship with your line coach, for instance. Now, again, I appreciate um, a lot of community clubs. You don't, you don't have a head coach and three different line coaches and a strength and conditioning coach. But um, one of the challenges in those environments where you don't have um, necessarily the opportunity to, to spend as much time getting to know a person as, as you would be able to in a professional setting, it's, it's useful to lean on people that, um, that player does have a particular um, strong working relationship with, and that might even be someone in your leadership group. Um, and that's something that as a player um, and as a captain I've learnt, um, you know, I talk to my coach, our head coach regularly around, um, 
you know, how players are going and there's that kind of check-in and, and you act as a bit of a liaison between players and the coaching staff. But if um, if there is something that the coach needs to, you know, needs to challenge a player on, um, that can also be done uh, through me as another player or, or as, a, as a captain or as a, you know, if you've got a couple of coaches, um, assistant coaches who, who do have that or perhaps have more regular time spent with that player, they can do that for you. Um, but, yeah, it's... Building rapport and, and having this having time with players is, is ideal, but it's not realistic for the majority of coaches in this space. So, you know, um, I think where you can find opportunities to, to check in with players, um, it doesn't have to be, you know, for longer than five minutes or two minutes, but, you know, as players are warming up or, um, or warming down, just finding it, you know, you, you overhear them talking about something that you might know something about. It might be One Direction or it might be some car or something. And you don't have to know everything about that topic, but you can just chime in and it just take, it just builds, uh, sorry, breaks down the wall a little bit, um, which means you can get to know what's going on with a player on or off the field. Um, and it just gives you a better, a better understanding of how to communicate. And if there is some harsh words that need to be said or some home truths or give feedback, um, they at least know that it's coming from someone who's, who has invested uh, or who who is working on that relationship? I hope that yeah. answers the question. No, it, no, it did, and it's a it's a it's a obviously a um, a complex space. So, um, but you've answered it really well. So, thank you. Um, now, your background in psychology. I mentioned that earlier. Um, how have you used some of the psychology principles or tools that you've learned in the, in, in that area in and translated to coaching? I think that you know this psychology space is only going to get even more important. Um, when it comes to coaching, it's really grown in the last sort of five to 10 years, but have you got any examples on how you've used different tools? Um, there's probably a lot of subconscious examples. Um, yeah. I think, and, and this whole relationship piece is, is probably testament to that. That's, I have a vested, a vested interest in people. I have a vested interest in understanding how people work and how people think and how people respond. Um, I've done four years of psych study and I'm hopefully starting my master's soon. And it has worked hand in hand for me. Um, but I think I just have the mental health space is something that I find um, fascinating and I think it's really important. Um, and just being able to pick up on cues of when someone might be acting outside of how they usually are or, um, you know, they, it sounds, you know, it, it's, it's, it's something that people who, you know, anyone can do this, um, but just, I guess, being, the ability of being able to read people and, and kind of look at behaviour and, and see if it's a little bit different to how it might usually be. And then for me, it's, that's when this conversation and, and two-way communication comes into it. It's just simply checking in and, a lot of the time your players will say, yep, all good, fine, dealing with some stuff at school or whatnot or, yeah, there's how many issues with my girlfriend or whatnot, but, no, nah, love being at footy. And, and sometimes that's that's the conversation that just needs to be had, just someone actually just noticing, you're a little bit off tonight, um, can I help you with anything? And they might say, no, nah, just want to have a good night on the track. And then you go, yep, okay, I've, I've checked in and now I'm going to drive you on on your ground balls or whatnot. Um, but I think a lot of, a lot of my psych stuff I'd probably do subconsciously, but I, I am mindful that I am someone that I observe a lot. I observe a lot. So, um, yeah, it, it's really interesting though. I was, it was in a, um, a leadership session today and we were talking about your leadership group and what attributes it should be. And some players are going to be people, people, no, I'm a people person. 
um, but not everyone is going to be. But if you can develop a leadership group or a coaching staff that kind of supplements the different attributes of um, that kind of makes up for what you don't have, um, then there's always going to be someone who's looking out for that kind of people and relationship component of, of teams. Yeah, great. Um, I've got this on my list of questions, so this is out of the, out of the blue loop. But we talked about, obviously, a high level of well-being, so we talked about mental health. High level of well-being normally leads to a high level of performance. So as a, as a coach, um, how do you actually look after your own well-being? So you sort of talk about, a lot about your players, but you know, coaches out there need to have a high level of well-being themselves to be able to perform and coach at, um, at, a, at, a, at a higher level, but also look after others. So what sort of things do you do to look after your own well-being? That is a great question, Pods, and it's something that I continually need to work on. <laughs> um, less is more is something that I've learned, and I'll touch on that a bit later. Um, particularly uh, this year, or my first year in the um, in the NEFA competition and working within an AFL program, I thought that I had to dissect everything. Um, and any coach who um, has um, got sports code and gets to sit through a you know a two hour long game will know that sports code can take and coding can take upwards of five hours so I lost a lot of sleep um, and it probably actually meant that the quality of my work um, wasn't it was probably affected uh, or certainly um, I was probably overthinking things a little bit too much so less is more um, has really helped me but being able to switch off um, you know I play guitar I like to listen to music. Um, I'm reading a lot more now. Uh, I think it is really important to to give yourself that switch off time because if if you're not if if you don't stay on top of it, you won't even realise that it's probably affecting the way in which you do the way in which you're coaching. And your players do see it. And I'm a player, and I have coaches that uh, work very very hard. And you can tell, you can notice. So um, yeah, it is very important to to switch off. Absolutely, look after yourself before you look after others. <laughs> the old uh, the, the flight the air hostess or the air host that talks about putting your face mask on before you put yeah. your kit on to look after yeah, yourself absolutely. first um, now speaking about people that work hard um, Alan McConnell uh, I want to just talk to you about him um, obviously I've crossed paths with him as well and he's almost a bit of a, a doyen of, our, of the coaching industry really in AFL and now you know, really been a, a trailblazer in AFLW um, what are one or two things that you've sort of learnt from him in the last um, three years working working with him, but also um, being coached by him? Uh, so less is more. That's where I was. Uh, that's um, the, the connection I'm making there. I think um, when I first came up to the Giants, um, and we had our our team meetings and whatnot, I was really taken aback by how short and sharp. Um, our meetings were, yep. but they weren't, they weren't any less detailed. They weren't, um, or they weren't, or they didn't teach you any less. He just has had this ability to, you know, find the stats that really mattered, the stats that really tell the important story and, and find the, the vision um, to accompany it. And it wasn't a 30 minute meeting. It was a 10 minute meeting and we knew exactly what we needed to do, exactly what we had to focus on. And then we went out and did it. And I think as a player, um, you know, when you're sitting in meetings and the, and you, you start to look around and some of your teammates are looking at the clock or yawning or looking a little bit bored, you know that, yep, it's time to hurry this up and get going. So as a coach, I'm really conscious of that as well. Um, so less is more. Um, and the other thing that I've learned from Al is that coaches can evolve. 
Um, and what I mean by that, and I hope if he's watching, I'm not sure if he is, but I hope he can understand what I'm getting at here is that Al has been coaching for 30 years. He's been in the AFL industry for 30 years. There was no AFLW back then. He's a boy's boy. Um, or is, you know, he's probably a self-proclaimed, self-proclaimed bit of a rat bag. Um, and and he's, he was as old school as it comes, but old school can still change and old school, old school can adapt. And there's still many old school mannerisms and, um, Alisms, we like to call it, when he throws out some some quote or cliche and we have no idea what he's talking about. But he's really evolved his coaching style um, specific to the group that he's got and he can change um, between, um, you know, how he might approach his role as director of coaching and how he communicates with the coaches and then how he communicates with his players. So um, I think, yeah, it's something that... Um, that coaches need to keep reflecting on, you know, who is the group that I'm working with right now? What What is their intention of playing football? What level are they at? Why are they here? Why do they keep coming back? Are they getting paid or is it just for fun? Um, and I guess adapt your coaching style specific to that. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a reason for how I've been involved for, th- for 30 years and it's his ability to probably evolve and, and um, continue to learn and reflect on, on where the industry's at, where the team's at and um, how to actually build from there. So have you got any allisms that you can share with us quickly? Is it PG? Is this PG, right? He's got all shoulders to the wheel or um, yep. you can't, I don't know if I can swear or not. You can't I'm, turn. I'm okay with it. You can't turn shit into strawberry jam. It's an interesting one. Um, yeah, there's a few interesting ones where everyone just kind of turns their head and has a laugh and then we get on with it. But yeah, yeah no, right. he's very good. He's been very refreshing. Thanks for listening. And we hope you're enjoying this episode of Max Mentors. We'll be right back after this short message from our partner. Bring your team to AFL Max to celebrate the end of your season. Let us entertain you with a variety of food and drink packages available in our licensed bar and cafe and put your teammates to the test in all of our activity zones. Find out more at aflmax.com.au. I'm not sure if people understand that you actually play with um, girls, you coach the boys, but you also coach girls. So my next question is around, have you got some in- insights in actually, um, you know, we've got people listening tonight that actually coach um, their daughters or their sons as well. Um, the differences or the, the nuances in, in coaching uh, boys and girls or men versus women? Yeah, um, I think certainly early on um, when I was coaching um, in the under-18 boys pathway, I was also coaching in the under-18 girls pathway. And at that point in time, the big difference was just, um, I guess, the level of skill discrepancy between player one on your list and player 30 and in the girls um, purely because the pathway hadn't been, hasn't been around for as long. Um, there was a f- there was more work to do in the skill remediation piece and there was a big difference between the skills of your best player and, and I guess, I won't say worst, but your, your newest. So there was a lot of um, work that needed to be done in skill remediation as opposed to in the boys under 18 pathway. It was more around the football IQ stuff um, because the, I guess, um, I guess the skills that, that or the the tactics and the game plans that required high level of skill was was more or less already there uh, in the boys program. So, but that was early on, and um, a lot of a lot of time and a, a, some fantastic. Um, there's been some huge steps taken in the girls programs and um, across Australia, and we've we've now seen girls they don't have to fall out of the pathways. They they come through from Auskick and, and they're being coached by amazing coaches now and, and 
the fantastic thing now is that you don't have to focus so much on that skill remediation piece. You're straight into the footy IQ stuff. But that was the biggest thing that I found back, you know, when I was in that under 18 pathway. Um, so just on, just on that before you keep going, yeah. uh, how, did you, how did you balance as a coach? Obviously, there's a, a whole heap of flexibility you need to have as a coach when you're coaching one team because you've got 30 or 40 players. But when you've got 30 or 40 players that are um, boys that are basically around tactics and then there's 30 or 40 players that are, that are girls and it's more about skill, your flexibility as a coach needs to be pretty, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, pretty, pretty vast, doesn't it? So how yeah. did you actually adapt when you went from different sessions? Well, there was, I mean, I say that there was a greater focus on the tactics in the boys space, but there was, of course, always, there's always skill. Uh, you're always coaching skill and, and whether it's to improve or to maintain. So that was consistent in the boys program. But um, I guess, how did I adapt? There were certain drills that I would see um, that we would run in the, in the the boys pathway that we wanted to, you know, it wasn't just working predominantly on skills for the girls. It was creating drills or um, adapting drills that focus largely on, on skill acquisition, but also you could introduce um, the reasons why we're doing this, you know, or the thinking behind why this skill is important. So it was kind of, you had to, um, I guess, you, yeah, you had to adjust your coaching to make sure that, yep, we're predominantly focusing on getting this skill right first, but we're doing this because we like to progress. And, and that's what a lot of it was um, early days in the, in the girl space. It was, it was a lot of progression of skill, of drills, sorry. Um, and I think in the other thing to, to make note of, and I know it still happens in at community clubs all over the place, is you need to, um, you, you're always going to have your players that are more skillful than the last player on your list, whether they're male or female. Um, but you need to make sure that you, your, your training drills are um, catering to both needs. So the players that need to learn and players that need to progress and also challenge the players that, that um, are perhaps more advanced. And that requires a bit of thinking. Um, and, it, and it, you know, that's part of the challenge of coaching, but you need to come back again to what are the intent, what's the intention of your players? Why are they here? What do they need to improve on? How can I challenge them? Um, and for those players that are, are, you know, the cream of the crop, let's make sure that we can still challenge them in this environment because um, we want to improve our players, not just, um, you know, not just kind of bring the bottom ones up to speed. We want to keep challenging our top players. Yeah. Hey, great answer. Um, awesome. Now uh, we're about, we're just over halfway through. Now we had a chat on the phone last week for about half an hour and um, mm -hmm. after I hung up, there was one thing that stuck with me really, um, you know, meeting you for the first time on the phone and, and sort of talking about your journey. But um, you talked about wanting to be known as a coach rather than a female coach. Um, and we discussed it last week at, at, at some length, but I'd, I'd love for you to, um, I suppose, elaborate on that and explain that um, to, our, to our audience, if, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a personal preference of mine. Um, it's just something that I've always, um, I guess, throughout my coach education, I've, I have wanted to go through the exact same pathway, um, to the exact same boxes. So it's, it's very much a personal preference of mine. I know that some people might be different, but, um, yeah, I think, um, uh, particularly in, in the space I'm working at right now, um, I, it's important to me that, that I am, uh, that I, I guess, a, uh, 
not judge isn't the right word, but uh, my performance appraisals are on the basis of the work that I do as a coach, um, irrespective of, of gender. And, um, you know, my performance appraisals needs to be based on how I improve my players. And there are certainly some um, different ways that I might go about doing that, specific to my own experiences as a woman in, in um, this pathway. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I want to be seen as a coach. I want to be judged as a coach and I want to get, um, you know, be awarded opportunities on the back of the work that I've done as a coach, uh, irrespective of um, male or female. So, again, it's a personal preference of mine. Um, I, I will refer to myself when I'm talking about the environment that I'm working in. I might say I am the only female coach um, to, to give people an understanding of, you know, there, there is still a really long way to go to make sure that we, we do see more women in coaching roles in the AFL system and, you know, not just in the AFL system, across the country at, at any level. Um, but, yeah, that's, I, I guess, when I um, compare myself to my peers at the moment, they just happen to be, majority of them just happen to be male, but... Um, yeah, I, I see myself as a coach. Yeah, thank you. That's a great answer. And thanks for sharing um, that. And you talked about earlier that you potentially are the only person that's gone from Auskick all the way through to AFLW without sort of having um, to stop playing or, or find another path, pathway through. But you're potentially also the only person in Australia that is the captain of the AFLW team that's coaching um, Neeful men at the same time. <laughs> Work with... Mark McVeigh, um, who's the backline coach at GWS, um, who, you know, by all reports is a fantastic coach and, and Al McConnell. So you're potentially the only person that's doing that. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I am. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, uh, footy keeps me pretty busy pods. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I've been really lucky. I'm, I work with... Um, so Mark McVeigh is the, the backline coach of, of the Giants men's side, so he's my... Um, He's probably the coach I work most closely with. But, um, yeah, part of my role as a development coach in the NEFL is we, we've got a squad of 43 players, I think. So, um, you know, from Monday to Friday, we all train together, all coaches are in together, all match committee together. Um, and I guess the, then we, we separate on the weekend. So, um, yeah, Jason Saddington was a head coach of the NEFL this year. Unfortunately, circumstances as they are, um, we haven't had footy this year to to involved with um but yeah i'm hoping to continue my development um in that space and yeah continue working with some some afl and aflw legends in the not too distant future yeah well it looks like uh 2021 might that uh, whole vfl needful thing might be changing a little bit i don't know too much details but it sounds pretty exciting yeah. uh, for, for all involved um, yeah, so you, you probably are the only person that's doing that. So uh, well <laughs> now you just mentioned um, women in our industry and women in these pathway programs. Yes. We talked about this briefly on the phone um, a little earlier around, you know, coaching is not all about, you know, strategy and tactics and teaching skill. Um, it requires leadership. And, and I'm, you know, this is a personal opinion of mine. I believe that, um, you know, women leaders bring something else to the table and the more women leaders we've got in, in roles within our industry, whether it's coaching, um, administration, um, et cetera, I think that our industry is better off for it. But in your time uh, and then what you've seen, the people you've worked with, how do you think that the, uh, what are the sort of gender differences when it comes to leadership, um, if you don't mind me asking that question? Mm. Um, it's a great question. Um, and when I thought about it earlier, I was thinking, I guess, specific to my own scenario, but I'll start off holistically and I think um, we do need to see more women in leadership roles in the AFL and whether that's in 
the footy department as coaches, as um, analysts, as physios, whatnot, um, it, it will evolve uh, and add to football programs and, and particularly it, I think it will uncover, um, you know, new styles of leadership that haven't necessarily been thought of or seen before because there haven't been opportunities in the past. Um, and it, it, there's a lot of great work being done within the AFL uh, industry to fast track women in, in coaching positions and I know I've been lucky to, lucky enough to go through that pathway myself and um, you know it's only going to be a matter of time and I think when we talk about women in, in um, leadership roles and, and um, you know specific to coaching I can speak to because that's what I've, I've experienced is there are uh, there are so many um, women in the wings waiting um, and we just need to provide opportunity and They've gone through the same pathway that I have. Um, some women haven't had the opportunity. They have fallen away from the game. So it has been, you know, perhaps more difficult um, to, to get back in. But um, we need to keep encouraging uh, because I think um, there's so much there on offer. Uh, if if we do, all we need to do is just, you know, um, I guess create more opportunities and specific to, to the leadership question, um, has gender had an effect on my leadership? I think um, probably me being a, the, one of the only women in it, you know, male, um, you know, well, typically male environment is I probably have found myself being more assertive than what I have been um, in, I guess, the youth girls pathway. And whether that's something that's actually required or it's just something that I perceive you know, I, I need to be more assertive. Um, I'm not quite sure, but there certainly have been instances where, um, you know, I felt where I've reflected and gone, oh, it's really interesting I went about it this way, working with the men, whereas in the women's space I probably would have gone about it a, a little bit differently. But, you know, um, I, in the past I've probably been a little bit more vulnerable, so my leadership style has... Um, I've shown a little bit more vulnerability and shown a little bit more of me as a person in the women's space. And maybe that's because I've grown up playing in that space. Um, and I, and I initially thought, oh, that's not, that hasn't been done in the men's space. I can't be like that, but I have been like that in the last 12 months and I've actually found, and we speak about the rapport and, and all of that. I've actually found that has greatly benefited my role, um, in working with the Giants boys and, um, particularly with my backs group and my younger you know, I work with a lot of the, the first and second year um, drafted kids and that vulnerability has actually been a real strength of my coaching and, and probably something that hasn't necessarily been seen a whole heap of um, in the past. And, you know, I can only speak to my experience, but, um, yeah, I think that's that's actually a, a strength of my leadership to, to show that. Um, but, yeah, just to kind of circle back, I think there's a great opportunity. Leadership styles are, have been done, um, you know, they're probably historically or stereotypically very, you know, authoritarian and, and whatnot. Um, but I think it, that can evolve and we're going to see, you know, footy clubs will evolve when we see more women in positions within footy departments. Yeah. Hey, um, well done. Your ability to sort of learn and reflect um, is, is, is really um, highlighted in that sort of example too when it comes to, um, the vulnerability piece, but there's there's no doubt. I think that um, all coaches out there, regardless of, of, of who you are, um, it's you know the ability to, I suppose, be yourself, uh, no matter whether you're a, a a man coaching women or a women coaching men. It's the ability to be yourself and feel comfortable in your own skin, isn't it? That um, then your strengths will just naturally come out. You talked about being a people's 
people are person and your ability to actually have that empathy with um, girls potentially and now you sort of start to get that vulnerability into coaching men is so important. So that, that lesson um, being yourself is, is so important. So uh, amazing, uh, Leash. Thanks for sharing that. And I just will touch, sorry, Pods, I, I just will touch on, you know, sometimes um, when you put the coach's hat on, it's like you're expected to know everything um, and your job is to develop and you need to know the, the X's and O's and um, and I guess you need to, if you don't know the answer to something and a player asks, then you need to, you know, find that answer. But coaches can also learn a lot from their players, um, male or female. Um, and I've found that, you know, in, in my role, I've worked with um, players who've been in and out of the AFL list on game day and, um, you know, who've had games and games of AFL football um, and they find themselves playing um, NEFL one week. And sometimes it's around just framing a question and, um, you know, asking, okay, what is it that you need from me this week or what can I provide that, that um, will help you this week rather than thinking that you need to know everything or you need to... Um, you know, put on that stereotypical coach's hat that, that I shouldn't say stereotypical, but um, you know, sometimes you, you work with your players um, and by simply asking, okay, what is it that you need? Um, it, it's the best way of, of, of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. You're breaking, you're breaking down the stereotypical barriers, aren't you really? <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs> um, so I get what you don't want to use that word, but um, now I just want to talk to you about, um, and this is, I don't want to talk about myself too much, but I don't, I don't like doing that. But when I went from coaching to playing, I just felt that um, I wish I had all the knowledge that I had when I was a coach as a player because I, I think I would have been a better player with all the, the study that you do as a coach or the, the, the psychology work that you do as a, as a coach. It would have been great to know some of this stuff. Um, but you've got this awesome balance where you're currently a coach and you're also currently a player. So what lessons are you learning um, you know, when you're a player that you're actually implementing in coaching but, and vice versa too. Have you got any sort of stories or examples that you can share with our audience? Uh, oh, I've got so many. Um, How long have we got? Probably if you, if you bake someone about your ground balls, you have to be pretty good at your ground balls yourself. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, it is, it, <laughs> it, it's unique. It's, it is unique. And, um, you know, all when things are, you know, 12 months ago, I was a coach by day and a, and a player by night. And um, the big learning point for me, balancing the two, was to be able to, you know, when I'm in player mode um, and captain mode, what's my responsibility within that group? And um, I guess when, you know, part of me coming up to the Giants was um, I do have, I have a lot of um, playing experience and coaching experience. So there is the expectation that I educate, help educate um, our playing group and, um, and, you know, that's that's what I do, but also being able to perform on game day as a player. So I need to make sure I can get that balance right. And, and at times, I'll be completely honest with you, I've, I have struggled with that balance and um, haven't performed the way I, I would like to myself. And it's probably because I'm paying too much attention to other things that isn't my responsibility when I'm wearing the player's hat. So, um, but there are certain things that I learn as well. Um, uh, you know, we were talking about in team meetings before um, when I notice my teammates or I'm, I'm myself are thinking oh, this meetings are going on a little bit long. Um, I make sure that when I'm in coach mode, I, I, this is what I would do. Um, so there's things that transfer across really well. Um, and the most important thing is you never stop learning as a player and you never stop learning as a coach. So the day I think I know it all, then is the day I've got to give it up. I think. Fantastic. Great insight. Hey, um, 
We're reaching here, but I wouldn't mind sort of getting to some of these questions in the uh, in the chat here. Um, so now, in terms of uh, you know, you're getting some great compliments, by the way, uh, here. But um, <laughs> great model, role model here. But uh, what are some of your key messages to sort of a, a junior community, a club, to to continue to invest in, in girls football? What would you uh, in girls football specifically? Yeah. Um, uh, it's really, it's really interesting because when I played junior footy as a young girl, there were no girls. So um, really continue to foster that um, footy's a game for, for everyone, uh, male, female, all sh shapes and sizes. Um, make your junior trainings really fun. Um, if you've got girls that are coming in from different sports at an older age group, let's make sure you're coaching specific to their skill set. Um, so you don't need to be coaching zones and, um, you know, higher order thinking when you've got players that don't know how to protect themselves in a tackle yet. Um, so make sure you get those fundamentals right and make it, you know, a lot of that skill training can be a bit boring. So if you can make it fun, make it competitive. Um, you know, the best part of Auskick was when everyone, you chucked on the, the, the band and you were either the banded or the, I don't know what the other no team called, but yeah. Um, that, to finish off training with something competitive was always really fun. Um, so, yeah, just getting that balance right, but don't skip over the fundamental stuff. So get creative with how you can coach fundamentals, coach thinking, um, and, and, and add some competitive elements to it as well. Yeah, like it. Hey, um, another question here. What's the, what is the breakthrough needed that builds rapport? Um... Allowing yourself to take your coach's hat off and actually be, you know, a, be a person. Um, so it might be, you know, humour um, or poorly attempted humour is what I do. Um, it's, it's taking off and it's a really important lesson for me as well as a captain, um, you know, with our first and second year players who know that I'm a coach as well. Um, it's almost like they feel like they can't talk about any footy specifics because, you know, I might know better and it's actually being able to take that captain hat off, the coach hat off and um, have a laugh. Um, I tend to make a, you know, a little bit of a fool of myself, sometimes deliberately, sometimes not, um, just to kind of break the ice a little bit. Um, and, yeah, and then if, there's, if there is a conversation or if, if you know that a, a player has a particular interest in something that you know a little bit about, um, just throw that question at them. Um, so it's not all footy, footy, footy. It, it's, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that Leash knew that about me. That's cool. Um, I think that's that's the icebreaker. Yeah. Well, you know, you sort of touched on it a bit earlier, but it's basically that authenticity as well is being able to be yourself and and, pull, and, and bring that guard down, which is, um, which is great advice. Thanks, Leash. Uh, and, and lean on people who... Um, sorry, Pods. No, um, <laughs> lean on, you know, if you do catch up with your coaches at the end of the night or you do, you know, there might be a, a particular player who you, um, you know, might have your, your challenges with and any conversation you can have with a player or a leadership group member or another teammate um, where you can pick up something about them that you, you then use it in, as an introductory um, kind of comment the next time you, you are working with that player, then, then use it. Use your people. Good idea. Um, you sort of touched on this earlier with uh, with designing drills, but how do you cater for discrepancy in in uh, in the skill of a of a squad within a squad? Yeah, um, you do have to get creative. Um, you can 
if you're doing skill drills, you can um, build elements into it where it challenges, you know, I'm going to use a really classic or simple example where it might be goal, set shot goal kicking or something where, um, you know, you need to progress through the stages and um, you're really challenging your, you know, um, the players that, who can get past the first few first few stages and you challenge them and you get harder and harder and harder all within the one drill. And I know it's difficult if you're the only coach, um, but yeah, get creative with your drills and try and build it. So your best players are still challenging themselves. So they might be, you know, hitting that kick seven, eight out of 10 times, but not 10 out of 10 times. And your players that probably aren't as skillful, well, they're not, you know, they're not going zero out of 10. They might be going, they might be going four out of 10 to five out of 10 because they're starting at a, um, you know, closer in or whatnot. So um, the other thing, if you do have the luxury of having some people helping you um, at training, as a head coach, if you're the head honcho, um, it really does mean a lot to players, particularly those who feel like or who know that they're not, they're not the most skillful player. It means a lot to them when their head coach takes them out for two to five minutes um, and works on that drill individually with them whilst your senior or whilst your assistant coaches can take the other players through some more competitive stuff. Um, again, that's a great way to build rapport with that, with that shy player or that, that player who doesn't feel like they're, you know, um, you know, who feel like they might not be cutting it with the, with the, the top end, but um, yeah, it just, it, it means a lot to players when, when the coaches do that in particular, the head coach. Fantastic. Great advice. Hey, um, we've got a question here from, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is the real Laurie Woodman here. I'm assuming he's, he's joining in tonight, but um, who, um, for those of you who don't know, is um, is a bit of a, a, I spoke about coaching doyens earlier. This guy is one of the, one of the very much at the top of the tree here, but uh, he talked about how do you, uh, how do you encourage and inspire? What's your advice about swaying more girls to, to take up coaching and sort of then build that critical mass of female coaches in Australia? Uh, that is a great question, Laurie. Um, <laughs> also kind of daunting that's coming from you. Um, um, how do I encourage? Um, I think for me, it's if you take up coaching, it's not like you're, you're doing it by yourself. There are people around you to support you. Um, there are ways, so many ways in which you can get educated and, and I guess fast track your education. Um, it's it's that's something that you know when I started coaching and when I came into um you know when I was first invited into the the TAC cup system I was pretty scared because I hadn't done a heap of coaching at that point in time yes I knew football but um you know I didn't really know all there was to know about coaching but there are people around me within the club um who again um uh, you know, I invested a lot of time in getting to know them and, and I wasn't shy asking questions either um, to help fast track my development. So it, it helps when you've got environments and we certainly are seeing a lot of footy clubs really embrace what women bring to footy. So the environment really helps. We want to encourage clubs to really reach out um, to, to, to women to get them on board because it will just enrich their programs. Um, it will grow numbers at the club and, and you'll start developing better people, not just footballers, um, by, you know, including as many women as possible. Great answer. I think the one word is opportunity, really. If you're, a, if you're in a leadership position at any community club or within the AFL, it's all about opportunity. So provide um, girls and women with opportunity and I'm, I'm, I'm sure they'll flourish. Hey, last question um, from the uh, audience, because I want to get to these last six we've got here in front of me. 
Um, and it's a question more about the player. So what one piece of advice would you give a young girl um, out there that wants to become an AFLW player? Oh, um, You've probably got lots of advice. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I have lots of advice. Um, skills, fundamental skills are really important. Um, and I guess there's a, there's a work ethic if you want to make it in whatever sport it yep. is that you want to make it in. That doesn't matter if you're male, female, whatever, but work ethic. Um, seek opportunities to to improve. So don't be afraid to ask uh, for assistance. Um, don't be afraid to ask your head coach or, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of feedback, essentially, is what I'm getting at there. Um, you can't improve what you don't know. Um, but, yeah, skills, if, if, you're new, if you're new to the game, skills are, are really important, the fundamental skills uh, and that work ethic piece. And, um, yeah, don't be afraid of feedback. Awesome. Hey, Leash, this has been fantastic. I've got the quick six for you, which I ask everyone um, that's been a part of Max Mentors. I, we could talk for another hour easily and we might have to get you back on um, <laughs> next year. But um, uh, So one book you can re- recommend our coaches read? I've prepared so well for this pods. Yes. Well, I did a coach's course run by David Whedon earlier in the year called, called Next Coach Program and it was fantastic. Now, um, this one's called Gridiron Genius and it's very much, it's about um, the NFL. So it's not yeah. AFL specific, but it's about teams, culture. Um, it's probably more applicable to those working in uh, the high age groups, um, but it was really great. And then this one as well is another David Whedon recommended book. It's called Range. It's got nothing to do with AFL. Have you got it? I've got it up here. Uh, <laughs> nothing to do with AFL, but it's no, all about. It's actually. Oh, there you go. Funny story that one of our previous guests, David Rath, actually gave me this book. Um, about ah. six ago, and I haven't, uh, haven't got a chance to read it yet, but it's there. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's all about um, like thinking outside the box, which again, not. Um, or thinking outside the square, which isn't specific to whatever level you're coaching at. Um, if you feel like you're coaching um, at a you know, community level or with, with juniors and, um, you know, your, your kids are dropping off or whatnot, then how, how can you change it up? What things can you do differently? Just looking through different lenses. Great. Great. Uh, David Epstein's the author of Range 2, just a question in the chat. Um, have you got a short YouTube or TED Talk that you can recommend? Uh, I do. Again, um, I'm probably stealing all of David Whedon's ideas, but he he told us about a, a video called The Piano Stairs. Uh, and essentially, I mean, people can go and watch it, but it's about how can you change the environment um, to help change behaviour. So if you've got, um, I can give it away or I don't have to or not, but. Let them watch, let them watch it. Yeah, go and look and just think if you've got, if there's something that's really boring and lethargic and your players don't like doing it, um, watch this video because it, yeah, it just kind of talks about how you can change it up to make it more interesting. Awesome. I'll watch that. Um, a podcast that you like listening to that? Um, well, I'm a psychology nerd, so um, I'm listening to the sports psychologist um, at the moment, which is on Spotify. So, again, I'm not sure how many people cool. will be interested, but it's, again, covers a, a range of different things. So I find that really interesting. Great. Um, one coaching point about ground balls. What is it that you are? Your eyes. Your eyes. Your eyes need to watch it all the way in. Great. All right. Like a cricket catch. Yep. Um, one game that you play with uh, with players, it's not footy. Okay. Uh, um, I love it. And I love, um, as a player, 
as a player, um, I love playing games that aren't football, even if it's for five minutes. So coaches, um, it's really important that you think about just changing it up every now and then. But um, like soccer or um, we play volleyball. The boys play some volleyball, like soccer volleyball in, our, um, in the cage area at the Giants, which they all seem to love. So, um, yeah, I mix it up and do some weird and wonderful um, communication games where players are, have to work through an obstacle course and one player's blindfolded and the other player has to work on their communication skills. So, awesome. yeah, I love those little things. Love it. Awesome. Hey, last question of the night. Um, yeah. What's your most important value? Uh, integrity for me. I think it encompasses a lot of different things. Um, respect. Um, yeah, it, it, I think if you just act, um, if you're always acting with integrity, um, it'll probably you know you're you're an honest person you 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 gain respect you give respect and i think that is um where opportunity comes from so, awesome yeah um we're going to wrap it up there leash um honestly thank you so much fantastic um chat i'm sure everyone out there would have uh, got a lot out of that um i know it's been a tough year for you personally with that and a lot of people out there as well but um Seriously, the, the our industry needs more people like you in it. Um, so continue to stick at it. There's no doubt um, that you've got a really bright future in coaching once you actually um, hang up those boots whenever that might be. But, um, <laughs> um, literally stick at it. Uh, I'm looking forward to following your journey from uh, from afar and, and watching you develop as a coach and, and you know, hopefully um, achieving what you want to achieve in that space too. So seriously, well done where you're at now and thanks very much for being a part of Max Mentors. No, thank you so much for having me, Pods. I hope we can uh, have a good chat again soon. Oh, no doubt. Wow. How good was that? Not only a coach or a player, I think she's actually a role model for the next generation of girls in sport, girls in football. Absolutely fantastic to hear some of Alicia's experiences. Now to my top three takeouts. Takeout number one, less is more. Totally agree, Alicia, especially when it comes to coaching. Sounds like this is something that Alicia's taken from her current coach and AFLW head coach, Alan McConnell. No doubt, there's only a limited amount of information players can absorb in meetings. Takeout number two, it's also about improving people. We heard Alicia talk a lot about developing skills, building relationships when it comes to coaching, but the little gold nugget that she mentioned during the chat was that coaches also have the ability to develop people. Couldn't agree more. And as Alicia said, it starts with being a great role model off the field. My takeout number three, I'm a coach, not a female coach. Now, Alicia talked about this being a personal preference, but I thought the statement was really powerful. It was based around her wanting to be appraised as a coach rather than a female in a so-called man's world. I personally think that this is the truest insight into her attitude to becoming the best version of herself as a coach going forward. Okay, that wraps up episode six of Max Mentors. A big thank you to Alicia Eva for sharing her experiences, her journey so far, and being our first female guest. Like you, I've got no doubt Alicia has a bright future in coaching ahead of her. Keep sending through your feedback, as I said at the start of the episode. Jump on our website to see when our next webinar is, and we'll see you shortly back here at Max Mentors. 